Welcome to Tonebenders. My name is Renee Coronado, and with me today, as always, is Timothy Muirhead. Hey, Tim. Hey, Renee. How you doing? Good. We've got some recordings to talk about today. It's going to be fun. Nice. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. I am at Renee underscore Coronado. Tim is at Azimuth Audio, and the podcast is at The Tonebenders. Okay, so you may recall last episode, we talked very briefly about Renee recording Porsches. Since then, Renee has actually done it. So, Renee, why don't you tell us about that experience? Yeah, so we had the opportunity to go record some actual like racing Porsches that race on the racing circuit out for their media day. It was one of those situations where our clients came to us and said, hey, we will give you the opportunity to come record. We can't pay you for it, but we'll give you the chance to come do it. And we said, yes, let's let's go do that. Woohoo! <laughs> so... I had to do a lot of research kind of on the front end to try and make sure that I was going to be ready for it because I was, my whole opportunity was going to be only across a few hours of one day. So the, the car specifically was the Porsche 911 GT3R. It's the racing version of the Porsche. So kind of the way that I approached my research on the front end was to, number one, go back and listen to our episode of, of our uh, vehicle recording roundtable. And just kind of <laughs> refresh my brain from the knowledge that Rob Noakes and Watson Wu and, and everyone else kind of had with that and Max. And, you know, it was, it's, I really, really like the fact that we did episodes like that and that we do episodes like that because you can go back and you can just jump in and, and really hit the ground running once you kind of have listened to it. You spend an hour listening to it and then you're like, okay, now let me go put my, my gear list together, right? But the other thing I did after listening to the podcast was I jumped on the Porsche website and started looking for any details I could find about that specific car. And it's a good thing I did because I didn't really have it in my brain at the time. And any Porsche enthusiast will know this, but everything in the Porsche is in the back. You know, typically when you're miking a car, you're looking to mic the air intake and the transmission and the exhaust and then the interior. And in the Porsche, everything's in the back. The engine's in the back, the transmission's in the back, the air intake's in the back, the exhaust is in the back. It's all just crammed together in the back. And there's other things going on in this specific car too with like the active shock absorption and the active suspension that are going on with it too. And I kind of really didn't know that until I started jumping on the Porsche website and really looking at their promo videos for this specific car. And the other thing I figured out by looking at it was the things like literally three inches off the ground. So a lot of the experience that I have recording vehicles is recording things like trucks, right? That are way high off the ground and you can just kind of jump underneath them and start strapping mics to the axles and things and um, catching, you know, wheel friction and all of that kind of stuff. And it's just, I could just tell it wasn't going to happen with the Porsche. You know, I just wasn't going to be able to put any mics underneath it at all. Well, that's what you do the research for. Yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, it was a good thing I really kind of took a look at that on the front end because it influences your mic selection dramatically, you know, mm -hmm. because I knew I had to bring much smaller, much more lightweight kind of mics that I could fit into tighter places for the Porsche than, than I would on a bigger car. You know, I just, I couldn't see a way that I was going to be able to get a 421 up under there anywhere or any kind of big dynamic mic up under it and around it at all. And I also didn't know in the front part of the car, 
like if there was going to be anything that made any noise at all. And, you know, the drafting is trickier on a Porsche because they're so tiny. Yeah. Like the little pocket where there's no wind turbulence going on is just really, really small on a car like that compared to on a big old truck. And you've got all the cables coming from the back instead of some from the front, some from the back. So right. I'm sure cable management becomes an issue as well. Yeah. And so I, I was, and then again, this is like a racing situation too, right? Which is another thing that I'm not particularly familiar with where, you know, instead of my, my driver maxing out at like 80 on the highway, you know, we're maxing out at 160 or so on the track. Wow. Yeah. It's nutty, right? <laughs> yeah. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> what is that in kilometers? A million. <laughs> Let's look and see. I. You were never in the car, though, correct? No, no, yeah. no. Well, so it's a racing car. That's 99 kilometers okay. per hour. So it's, no, it's a racing car. No, that cannot be right. 160 cannot be... Oh, no. You know what? I got that backwards. Yeah. yeah. I got that backwards. So I got 160 here. Sorry, 257. Yes. There you okay. go. Because 100 kilometers is the regular speed limit. So <laughs> yes. that's not very impressive. <laughs> yeah, it's two, two, about 257 kilometers per hour, somewhere like that. that yeah, we're I don't think I've ever gone over 160 kilometers, so. Which would be 100 miles an hour. I, really? I've done that. I didn't well, do that this day. <laughs> I, I don't have a very good car, let's put it that way. <laughs> it's not necessarily me that makes that decision as the car. <laughs> so yeah, it's a racing situation, right? Which is a little, again, it's a little bit out of my comfort zone. It's a little bit out of the uh, my experience. So it was really, really good for me to be able to go do this on the type of shoot that there's not some client paying for it. You know, it's not tied to a specific project. It's something mm -hmm. that I can go just challenge myself and try and do it well, but with no like massive repercussions if things go wrong. But as far as mic selection and mic mounting and all of my kind of preview work that I was doing, I, I really decided I was going to go as as light as I could in in a lot of cases and you know, I just also didn't have a lot of mount points that I was going to be able to find on the car. And so my initial observation was, A, I'm not going to be able to put any mics under the car at all. It's just not going to happen. B, I'm not going to have any mics in the engine compartment. Or if I do, you know, they're going to have to be really, really tiny mics, right? Oh, and, and, and with regards to if I could, you know, ride in the car or not, no, not at all, because it's a racing car. It's got a roll cage in it. Literally, the only thing on the inside of the car is the driver's seat and the roll cage, and that is it. And that's just for weight, right? They're not going to put another seat in it. I mean, it's just a stripped-down, burning racing machine. And so my initial way to go about it is to do the research on the car and then try and figure out, all right, what's the best way to mic this up for the onboards? So what I came up with was uh, a couple of Sanken Cubs that I was going to use. And I was going to be a little free-flowing with regards to what was going to go where, right? So I brought, for the onboards, two Sanken Cubs, two Shep COS11 wired lavalier mics, a Sennheiser MKH50, which is the short pencil condenser hypercardioid. And that's the one that I'm recording my voice into right now. I love that mic. It's my favorite mic. <laughs> I opted against the Sheps and I opted against any other Dynamics and opting against Dynamics ended up being a little bit of a mistake. I did listen to the Porsche in a lot of the videos and it didn't sound like one of those kind of funny car race cars or anything like that. 
it, it had a lower note to it. And it actually was going to have a muffler on it, right? It wasn't a straight pipe from the engine. So it felt like it was going to be pretty controlled. But even a controlled exhaust at 160 is just going buck wild. So I made a mistake, I think, on that with regards to not getting more coverage with a dynamic. I should, probably should have brought a 421 also. And then for the interior, I used a VP88. And one of the things that I was really checking with regards to the interior mic was my mount. So I used like what is a drum clip kind of mount that you that you mount tom mics to the drums, right? With a with a clip that locks down. And the VP88, like if anyone's ever had that mic and held it in their hand, it's a beast. It's a big monster MS mic, and it's just weighs like a couple of pounds. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up putting two mic clips on the one mic and putting two drum clips with the little thread adapters underneath the mic clips. And so I found kind of two different places on that one mic to anchor it because one just wasn't going to keep it stable enough, I didn't think, in a big rattly vibrating car to make it work. So I really spent a lot of time kind of building a real secure lockdown type mic mount setup for that VPD8 for the interior. And also I'd never seen the interior, right? But I figured there was going to be some place where I could just clip it and lock it to the frame. And, and I figured I was going to have to compromise one place or the other, but that interior mic ended up being really, really nice. And what other prep? The other prep that I did was I jumped to the website and looked at the track that we were going to be recording at. And it turns out that it wasn't like a NASCAR type loop. Oh, it was a configurable type track. So it had a NASCAR loop in it if you wanted to run that way. But you could also hang a right and go along this long straightaway that had some curvy stuff in it and a big U kind of curve to it. And it had a whole bunch a of just straightaway different... with curvy stuff. Well, it had a straightaway and then curvy stuff. Oh, okay. So <laughs> it was. Uh, it had a lot of kind of shape to it. So. What I ended up doing was sitting there with the map going, all right, for my exteriors, how, how do I want to set up on the track? Because my assumption was that I'm going to be able to put mics anywhere because this is media day and we're supposed to have the track locked down for us, for ourselves the whole day. So I should be able to get access anywhere. So given that I can kind of go wherever and do whatever I want to get the sounds, to get the sounds what do I want to do? And so I found a nice straightaway, like past the NASCAR turn that I wanted to get for the big revs. And then I found a nice, like this, like a, it was called the keyhole on the map, like a keyhole turn where it, you'd come up and stop and then turn around like in a U and then continue on again um, without ever having changed direction. So you end up going straight in the same direction that you went when you were approaching the curve, right? Okay, got it. Yeah. So I was like, man, let me just drop an ORTF yeah, set right. right in the middle of that guy so I can catch all the Perfect. downshifting and upshifting and all of that. Um, so there was, so I had that location. They were really thinking out. about sound when they designed this track. They really were. It was kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so I kind of had my wish list put together with regards to external mics, right? So what were you dropping there? Were you, were you using portable recorders? Your limitations end up being your mixers and your recorders at that point, right? How many independent recorders can you just drop? Um, mm -hmm. So what I did, what ended up happening was on the keyhole. Well, let me uh, let me get to that as I as I get there. Sorry right? for interrupting. Because 
it's all good because there's uh there are things that happen that you you try and prepare and then and then you know the uh, the event throws weirdness at you. Oh yeah, curveballs. But with regards to the mics that I packed and brought, I brought a pair of Line Audio CM3s. I brought two pairs that were supposed to go independent. And then for the straightaway, I went back and, and really checked out Max's idea from the previous podcast of using two shotguns that are shooting out along the track in either direction, and then also plugging in the middle of that an MS setup. So just for anyone listening, that was episode 25. If you want to go back, if you haven't been listening from the beginning, the car recording episode was 25. So go take a listen to that to know what Renee's referencing here. Yeah, for sure. Because I mean, it was just so influential in what I ended up going out and doing. And what Max does on the um, on the big race records that he does, because he's got a lot more experience than me, obviously, recording race cars on closed tracks, is he'll put he'll take two shotguns and shoot them down either side of the track and then from those two different mics he can get basically two different sounding passes with each individual buy so what i did in addition to that was i put an ms rig right in the middle of it so i my plan was an ortf rig at the keyhole an ortf rig at the pit row somewhere and then on a straightaway two shotguns with an ms in the middle of it for all of my exteriors and i also built another kind of roving handheld mono setup that Stephen, my coworker, was going to go out and kind of just catch whatever he could catch with that. So that's what I brought. And the thing, the other thing that I had to really prep was power and storage for everything. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the recorders that I have available to me is a 788T, uh, 744. I have my PCM M10, and I also have a 633. And that thing's, that's a great box. I really, really like that box. Cool. But one of the quirks of the 744 right now for me is that it just eats the battery life like crazy. So I have an NP1 battery kit that I was going to use for that guy. So wait, where was the 44 then? I'm assuming the 88 was on the car. Yeah. And it yeah, had so the 744, was that at the keyhole or? 744 was, yes, that one was, that one ended up at the keyhole. Okay. Um, and then my ORTF rig ended up at the pit row. Okay. Um, with then, what was the recorder with that then? Uh, oh, the 633? That was, no, that was the PCM M10 with my, with my mix pre, mix pre on the yeah, front okay. end of it. For the handheld, ended up being uh, Sound Devices MM1 into the other Sony PCM D50 recorder. Okay. So the two little bitty handheld recorders are just super, super useful for shoots like this where you can just go drop them or strap them to you and they're real lightweight and easy to use Mm -hmm. for that type of thing. As I go back to my power situation, I powered the 788 onboards with the NP1. I had two NP1 kits, right? Okay. So the 788 onboards I powered with an NP1 and then the 744, because it eats batteries like crazy that ended up at the keyhole, I also powered with an NP1. And then everything else ended up going with its internal batteries. batteries. Yeah. I had a 552 out there too, recording. <laughs> <laughs> I had so many things going. There was a lot going on that day. What was the 552 catching? Oh, you know what? The 552 was what was at Pit Row recording. That's what okay. it was. And the PCM M10 was on the handheld roving rig. Mm-hmm. 
that's what it is. So yeah, the 552's got like a little SD card in it. So I had to make sure that, you know, I had the biggest, cleanest cards that I could put in all of my media that wasn't, you know, the 788 and the 744 because those have big, huge internal hard drives. Yeah. And I kind of had to just trust on the 788 that whatever Gs it was going to pull weren't going to stop the drive down, you know? Oh, I never even thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, it was something that was mentioned a little bit in the car recording podcast that we did before. So I had it recording both to the internal and also to a flash drive just as a as a safety. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't positive that it was going to survive. But fortunately, it did. It totally, nice. it totally rolled the whole thing. So it was fine. And the other thing that I had to do was go through on each and every device and set it up to do this kind of record. So, you know, you set all your inputs as far as uh, phantom power or not, and label all the inputs, clean all the drives off, set your sample rate and bit rate, and just kind of go through and just triple check every single little stupid menu setting on each of one of these recorders just to make sure that they're all going to be right. Because once you get there, you ain't going to look at that not even once. So do you do any paperwork with that or you just do it all in your head and I actually did for this one break out a prep sheet and I can post that prep sheet to the website so you can kind of see what I did. Um, but yeah, I actually did put a whole input list together with a prep sheet, prep sheet and a map and everything else. Yeah. I find um, that to be very, very handy because like, obviously you're talking about so many recorders, you can't even remember them all right yeah. now. So when it comes to the day of when you're getting ready to go out in the morning or if you're doing it the evening before, I find that writing it out and then actually implementing it helps a lot because you kind of get to think it over twice and uh, it's kind of like backing up your thought process a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it really helped me kind of spell out on paper, all right, what am I going to record to? What am I, what am I going to use as far as my preamp and what am I going to use as far as my battery and what am I going to use as far as like my mounts, like how many stinking microphone mounts do I need? How many boom poles do I need or whatever? Like, yeah. how am I going to clip? What am I going to clip all the mics to? So it really helped me kind of spell all that out. And it also gave me a nice checklist when we were done with the day to check off all the gear and make sure that it was all packed up and coming back home. Yeah, that's also good. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> two days later, where's the 522? Son of a... <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so that was kind of an important thing. <laughs> um that, and that actually, that whole process took a couple of days, really. Yeah, for sure. Just to kind of prep everything and pull it and get it ready and plug it all in, turn it all on, make sure that it's all actually passing signal and do all of that and then tear it all apart again and and pack it back up and, and get it all down there. So that was, that took longer to do than the actual recordings. For sure. But that's only because you did it. That's like right. If you hadn't done all that prep work, then the recordings would have taken way longer kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, here's the thing. Recordings are going to take as long as they're going to take. Basically, my opportunity was, you know, a finite amount yeah, of track time. Yeah, time. Yeah. yeah. So, I so mean, you're planning let you take advantage of all the time you had, I guess is what I was meaning to say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, uh, I was able to be out there and be set up and be rolling from the moment they started the first car. And the other thing that was really nice for me to kind of have in my head was to know generally how long it was going to take to wire that car up. I knew I needed to give myself a solid hour with that car to wire it up. And so I get there. So we pack everything up. We drive down to Houston. We get there. We meet up with everybody else and we kind of figure out the game plan. And because it's media day and they're doing a lot of photography of the cars, they're basically going from dawn to dusk, right? 
So that means we need to get there before dawn. Yes. And get set. And how long is the drive from Dallas to Houston? Uh, it was like four hours, something like that. Okay. So you didn't sleep the night before, basically. We slept very few hours the night yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because basically, you know, we didn't leave for Houston until after the work day, right? So it was, this happened during the week, I think. Yeah, it did happen during the week. So it was, you know, you work till, you know, 5.30 on one weekday, drive down there, you get there around 11 or so, meet up with everybody, get to bed around midnight or one, wake up about six, and then you get to the track. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have that much sleep after having packed and driven and worked all day. And that's uh, really helpful when you're dealing with expensive equipment, fast speeds and stress to have very little sleep. Right. <laughs> well, you know, one of the other things I was very sure to bring was snacks and water. Yes. Um, yeah. I know better than to not bring a lot of food and a lot of water on a shoot like this. Because once you're out on the track, man, I mean, that's it. You ain't, yeah, ain't going to break. You be like, everybody stop. I got to go get a candy bar. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and it's not like a film shoot. There's no craft services table. Yeah, you know? exactly. You, you are fending for yourself on a shoot like this. So, yeah, I was also very, very sure to bring more than I need, thought I was going to need with regards to snacks and water. And that was very helpful too, because I ended up running probably about four miles over the course say, of the day. I was going to say, just to go hit record on all these recorders, you're yeah. jogging a long way. So, you know, some of the obstacles that we came up against was the the fact that we weren't going to have total access to the entire track the way that I thought we would, for a very simple reason that just didn't occur to my my primitive brain. And it was, once the cars are going and the track is live, you can't cross the track. Cross it. Yeah. Right. So that means for, I only for pretty have, good reasons. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that means I only have access to the outside of the track at any given mm-hmm. point. I can't access the inside of the track at will the way that I would need to uh, in order to start and stop recorders. Right. Mm-hmm. So that took away one of my distant positions. Fortunately, I still had access to one of the keyhole positions, so I did find that. The other thing that I didn't really take into account that was made pretty clear to me was you have to protect your gear from the cars. Fortunately, they have at this track and probably at most tracks a lot of just kind of like little bunkers that are built around the tracks for people that are observing or scoring or doing whatever they do at races. And, yeah, yeah, camera people and all that. So I was basically limited when I was out in the midst of the track to these bunkers. Fortunately, the bunkers are placed really well, and one of them was like right perfectly in that keyhole. But you really do kind of have to put your stuff in the bunker because, you, you know, it, there's just stuff flying off of the cars. Uh, <laughs> Wow. That's awesome. It's, it's just so nutty. And so the other thing was, so I get there and I start talking to the mechanics and the drivers. And I said, now I'm assuming that I can't put any mics on the underside of these cars, right? If I even put a lav down there. And they're like, no, mate, what happens is when we hit those curves, the entire bottom of the car touches the track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a good reason not to put a mic there. Yeah. That's like terrifying. Like literally the undersides of the cars scrape the track. That's a design feature. You know, it's, it's not always, it's not, it's not like it's dragging on the track, <laughs> clearly. Yeah. But sometimes when they hit those things real hard, they will touch. Yeah. Um, so clearly not a safe place to put even a cable. Can't even run a wire yeah. down there, you know. And then they pop what is the hood off the back of the Porsche, and it's got this big giant wing on it, right? So they pop the hood off, and I'm looking at the engine compartment, and it's 
just packed super tight like a sardine, right? I mean, it's literally just inches of space. And there's a couple of little gaps here and there up above the engine. And I'm talking to the mechanics and I'm like, all right, so talk to me about heat. And they say, oh, oh man, some, <laughs> sometimes these things, uh, the brakes have actually melted to themselves before. They come back red hot and the inside of the engine also comes back red hot. Wow. So, and you know, and this is as I'm like wiring a cub up in there <laughs> <laughs> and I stop and I'm looking at it and I said, you know what? Nope. These mics are coming out. Not putting yeah. any mics in the engine compartment. I just, I can't record anything in there, like at yeah. all. So the mics come out of the engine compartment. The air intake is actually along the back bottom of the window. Okay. So the window kind of swoops down into the hood, right? And then right at that crease is where the air intake is. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's where I put one of the uh, COS 11s right underneath that. Cool. And that gave me a real nice kind of whine. And then basically what I did was I strapped four mics to the hood on the back of it, and that was it, or to the bumper. Okay. That was really the only place available for me at all on the exterior of the car to mount anything was the the hood and the back bumper. And the hood, again, on a Porsche is, is in the, the trunk, back. kind of. Yeah, it's, it's where the trunk would normally be. Mm -hmm. And the way the exhaust worked was there was this big can that was sitting exactly between the rear two wheels. And that's what was actually the muffler, right? And then the exhaust came out of two pipes right in the dead center bottom middle of the car. Okay. So I had one Crown PZM mic on the hood right above that exhaust. And I had also my uh, MKH-50 on the hood above that exhaust. Oh, wow. Nice. I had another crown on the bumper on the bottom right, trying to catch some of the debris that comes up off the back wheel. Cool. And then I had the, the Sankin on the, um, on the air intake. And I wasn't able to really wind protect the Sankin very much. And everything else, I mean, again, you're going 160. So if the car's not blocking the wind, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter what yeah. you put on it. Uh, so, you know, I did give it some, you know, just cloth some microfiber cloth with some gaffer tape on top of all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. I also had a cub mic on there too. And then my interior is Wait, where... Wait, which Sankin mic did you have then? COS 11 wired. Okay, sorry, I was getting the cub yeah. and the cost mixed up there. Continue. Yeah, yeah so the cost is the little love yeah, the laugh. wired yeah. mic. So that was kind of after much deliberation and mounting mics and taking them off again and, you know, having them pull the hood off and put the hood back on again and, and doing all of that. That's kind of what ended up happening was I had four or five mics just taped to the hood. The car's windows don't roll down. Perfect. So... <laughs> So how'd you get the cabling to the recorder? So, but fortunately in the back rear window, it ended up having being made of plexiglass and having slots in it that were just big enough to fit XLR heads through. Oh, nice. <laughs> if those weren't on this specific car, I have no idea how we would have gotten into the cockpit with the, uh, with the cables. You said that there was no passenger seat. What it was the recorder sitting on slash attached to like how we're okay so there is a roll cage in the car right okay. so it, it's big metal piping that kind of is it runs around the edges of it 
around the edges of the interior. Yes. And there's a big computer in the car also that's kind of just mounted into it. And there's wires everywhere. And it's just real open and whatever in there. And, I, you know, to a large degree, that's so that they can go in there and mess with it at any given point. So the 788 I had in a petrol bag. And fortunately, I, I had listened to Rob Noakes and brought a whole bunch of bungee cords. So what ended up happening was I just bungeed that thing to within an inch of its life on the onto the, onto the roll cage. Wow. And then just set it to roll. And I just let yeah. that thing go all day. And the uh, so the VP88 actually ended up mounting exactly dead center in the middle of the car with my two drum clamp clips cl- uh, attached to the roll cage in the middle. And then I used a bunch of bungees also just to lock it down and really kind of stress push all of the uh, bend out of the rubber out of it. I think I destroyed one of the clips because it sat in there all day like that, but whatever, nothing moved. Like you could have kicked yeah. that mic and it would not have flown off. Um, so that was all of the onboard and interiors. So I've never used the v- VP88, right? Yeah. And that's a sure mic. Yes. And uh, I've never used that. Do you, is, do you have lots of experience with that mic? Or? I do actually. It's it's one of those mics that it's it's just a beast. It's so big. I'm trying to think of a mic that's heavier than it. Like if you've ever held an SM7B in your hand. Okay, yeah. The VP88's heavier than that. Oh, really? It's a it's a heavy mic. And it's an MS <laughs> mic, right? Um, it's an MS mic. And it uses basically the same capsules as the SM81. It's got a similar sound to it. Um, okay. It's not a perfectly quiet noise floor. Uh, but inside a super loud Porsche, that's not an issue. It's totally fine. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. And it's not like it's ugly noisy either. It's just not pristine quiet the way that yeah. the uh, Sennheiser MKH series is. But for a lot of stuff like this, it's totally great. Yeah, for sure. Just a classic kind of sound. But it's just such a beast. Like I can, I've tried in the past, like when we did the trolley library, I used the VP88 to, I initially tried to use that to record the rear bumper of the trolley. But the problem was it was bouncing around so much inside of the uh, windshield that I couldn't do it. Okay. Because it just, the clips inside of a windshield just cannot hold one of those things. It's just too nutty, heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So we had to make the decision to go wire the car, like in the midst of setting up the exterior mics, because we looked at our watch and we said, dude, they're going to open this track in an hour. I need Mm -hmm. to wire this car now. We did that. So we'd only set up one. Of the exterior mics, and it was the far one. It was the one at the keyhole, which is literally like half a mile away from the garage in the pit row. So, you know, it's sprint over to the keyhole. <laughs> and and you had, it was like this little like rickety kind of wooden bridge that you had to walk across that was literally, it was like two beams that were about four feet apart and then some planks that were sitting on top <laughs> of it. They were just sitting and it didn't even cover the whole thing. So you were having to kind of like bounce from one to the other with all of your gear <laughs> over this little creek that was kind of sitting under there. And then you'd like land in the mud bog on the far end of it and kind of slog your way across it into the into the bunker. Yeah. So I did that many times. But, you know, we were like, <laughs> and, and it was just a little bit of a comedy of errors right at the beginning, too, because like we'd get there, we'd get set up and it'd be like... F, I don't like the way these mics sound. I'm going to use the other mics. And so I'd have to go back to the truck across the little stinking rickety bridge and come back and then be like, F, I brought the wrong, I brought the wrong batteries for this. I need to bring the other battery set for this. So I had to go back into the truck across the rickety bridge and then grab so the So how big was your crew for this? It was, it was me just, and Steven. It was just two of so us. So two. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. If it was just me alone, I probably couldn't have recorded more than half of what we got together. Mm-hmm. I think three people would have been even a little better. I think four would have been too many. Yeah. But with two, with a crew of two people, we got a lot done. So we were in the middle of setting that up when we looked at our watch and said, oh, damn, we better go wire up the the onboards. (laughs) So we went back, we wired up the onboards, and then I basically had to wait around until they turned the car on so that I could set levels. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And one other mistake I made was that I didn't set the pad on the MKH-50. Well, the MKH-50 is a hot mic. Yeah. Right? And so when they did crank the car, they did start revving it for me. I had the channel on the 788 with the MKH-50 plugged into it, turned almost just like one half of bump passed off, right? And the way the knobs work on 788s is if you turn them all the way left and click them, then the whole channel turns off, right? Yeah. So it was literally unclicked. And our specific 788 has a weird quirk where if you unclick it, but you don't turn it up any, the channel stays off. Off, yeah. Right? So it's like it doesn't turn on. Yeah, you got to move it that half millimeter to get yeah. anything from it. Yeah. So I was basically sitting one notch past that half millimeter, thinking about too many different things, forgetting that I had a pad available to me on that mic. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, actually on the mic's pad. Yeah. The mic's got a switchable pad built into it that I mm-hmm. should have that, that switched in during my initial set, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, my levels ended up all being okay, and it ended up being fine, even when they were really revving it real hard in the garage. So I was like, fine, it's cool. And then you can push the switches, you can push the preamps in, and then it locks their position down. Yes. So I was I was fine with it, right? And everything was, you know, locked into within an inch of its life anyway. So all of that was happening. And so then they were still kind of jacking with the cars, but I had my level set, and I was rolling, and then I was, and then I was anxious that I wasn't rolling. So I went and looked again, and yes, I was rolling. <laughs> I had to triple check and make sure that it was actually spinning so that I could leave it alone and go finish setting up everywhere else. So the other exterior that we ended up with was at a straightaway and it ended up being up on a balcony that was not in use. So we got up on this balcony and I set my two shotgun mics probably, I don't know, 40 feet apart and each shooting in different direction. And I had my Shep's MS kit exactly in the middle of it. And all of that was feeding my 633 and the 633 was just set up right there. And then we had the uh, the ORTF rig right at pit row. And then we had Steven out rolling with the handheld wired MKH-70, which was a super directional mic, so he could catch it from very far away. And uh, and that was the setup, and that was that was where it all was. And then the other curveball that came at us was that we didn't have the track to ourselves that day after all. Okay. There was an F5 crew that was out there that ended up sharing the track with us. So anytime the Porsches weren't running... The F5s were out there running. Okay. So what that meant was that a lot of our kind of other ideas with that we had in our minds with regards to recording Foley and that type of thing, they just weren't going to happen while those F5s were on yeah, the track. Yeah, you can't do that. Yeah, It just wasn't going to happen. So the Porsche went out, right? Everything's all set up. I've sprinted to each individual location <laughs> and hit record. The Porsche rolls out of the garage, it hits the track, it goes halfway around the track, and then it slows down and comes back in, and they push it back into the garage. And oh. something happened. I don't know what happened, but they had to check it out. Like something with the car having nothing to do with the mics. Right. Yeah. So that was the end of that was the end of the first run, and then the oh, F5s boy. were out, right? 
<laughs> so we were only going to get probably about five runs across the whole day. So that was run one. The something came back that they wanted to tweak on their computers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they had to stop and tweak. And unbeknownst to me at the time, during that first run, the vibrations of it rattled that one channel of my 788 that had my MKH-50 oh. on it into the off position. Oh, no. So, and I'm sitting there going, you know what? I need to just kick the pad on that thing and it'll be fine. So they brought it back in and I pulled the mic off and I kicked the pad in and I made sure I was still rolling and it was all good. But I didn't check that individual channel. Yeah. And for the rest of the day, that mic just wasn't rolling. Oh, it killed me. Oh, it killed me. (laughs) It hurts my heart still. Oh. Because that mic sounds so good on that car. I'm sure, yeah. (laughs) Um, But that that was what it was. Let me give you a little kind of uh, feeling of what the onboards ended up sounding like. Let's hear onboard. Here's a little startup. That's kind of a false start, actually. There's an idle and rev. Yeah. That's cool. So is that all the mics or which mic was that? That's all of them. Yeah. So basically in post, I ended up doing a fair amount of work to them to both clean them up and kind of put them together and make them sound the right way, the way that they should. Oh, also that little sound right there. That's like the air jacks that are built into the car. The other thing that surprised me about these cars was the uh, how bouncy they are. Like when they would downshift, they would you know do that. <laughs> Sounds great. So the other little disappointing thing for me about the onboards was the Cubs. Those Cub mics just crapped out at me on high oh, really? high SPLs. They just turned into distorted nothing, so I really had to either minimize them or just cut them entirely whenever the mics were, were really getting hot. Yeah. The One other thing that really came from the onboards, though, was I got a lot of Foley um, just in the garage. Got a bunch of this kind of stuff. Just from having mics always rolling on the car yeah. all day, you know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Got the car doors. Various other rattles and that kind of stuff. How did the uh, Crown PZMs hold up? The Crowns sounded killer. Nice. Um, they sounded really nice. Now, they're not as just super high res as the MKH-50 yeah. was, but they handled the SPLs totally fine. 
the vast majority of what you're hearing in the actual recording there is the crowns actually okay. in the actual onboards with the exception of the foley stuff because the, the cubs actually worked well on, it, on that yeah, kind of stuff so, for sure you know it's just when it was really cranking as far as spl is concerned Yeah, and the other thing I didn't anticipate, and I, it's just because I'm not a huge race guy, was the fact that the they had these air jacks that were built into the cars where they'd plug an air hose into the car. It would raise the car up off of its wheels. Cool. And, and the car would just go, and it would just sit up, and then they'd hit another button, and it would release and drop it back down to the earth. So they never <laughs> slid a jack under it, like, ever. They just kept, like, popping it up and down. Oops, that's an air wrench. They, but it was like four little jacks that were sitting there right next to the wheels that would pop up and down just with compressed air. Cool. And lift the car up off the track. That's more air jacks, I guess. Where's this guy? Yeah, so that was really kind of cool to watch. And, and I got tons and tons of those types of recordings in there. So the other stuff was the exteriors. Oh, yeah, that was also that. I don't even know what that is. Uh, so, you know, one of the other things we talked about was the whip buys, right? Yes. So the regular buys ended up um, in mono sounding like this. Here's a, here's a follow buy. And here's one with a gear shift. That one's cool. Yeah. But then if you check out the whip buys. So that's the stationary shotgun mics? That's the roving one that Steven was okay. using. So he, so he was whip, actually going against it. Yeah, and he'd, okay. he'd whip it against it. And it actually does give you a lot of sense of speed. Yeah, that uh, because those cars are so loud that it doesn't sound kind of crazy fast like it did when you did your test. Yeah, they were just kind of sounded like whooshes when I did it. Yeah, but yeah, those suckers sound great. But like a whip car and a whip by in a race car sounds totally different. And again, here's a different like follow by. Here we go. So that's with him following by. Then here's wow. a slower one. Uh, so this is uh, from one of the RTF rigs. This is at the keyhole. You hear how much he had to drop his gears to kind yeah. of get in there. Downshifting. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Here's one more. It just sounds like he's on mic forever. Yeah. Even though that's a stationary set of mics. And this car is going very fast. The other thing that they did, they did some burnouts. 
um, which you don't typically do with a, with a race car, uh, burnout. Um, because, you know, you're trying to move forward. You're not trying to just sit yeah. there and burn out. What? So that was the onboard for one of them. Uh, let's see if I can find it over here. <laughs> yeah, they really, really burned them hard. That is cool. So did all of your batteries end up holding out okay? Yeah, everything ended up... Literally, the, the, the two big mistakes I made were the MKH50 channel and not bringing a dynamic mic. Outside of that, the rest of the prep really turned out right. And it really worked out well. Um, I'll give you a straightaway. So that's a mix of the um, the two shotgun mics and the MS mic. Yeah. Holy Christ, that sounds cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And the other nice thing about these is they're so not sounding like funny cars or F1s or anything like that, or even NASCAR. They sound like, you know, yeah. street Porsches. And when you pitch them down... Oh, wow. Yeah, they do that kind of thing. That's very cool. They just turn into these big evil spaceships, you know? Yeah. Whoa. Here's that one at regular speed. That is very cool. Yeah, they really kind of blast away in a cool way. So in the end, you know, you always make some mistakes, but I feel pretty happy with how it all turned out. Yeah, if only there was going to be a Fast and Furious 8. <laughs> You're saying there's not? Well, I, I isn't... <laughs> I was led to believe that 7 was the last one, but I, to be honest, I've never seen any of them, so I don't know. Now, Renee, these recordings sound amazing. Yes, sir. Is there any way that I could use them in my own library? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we did release this entire library on echocollectivefields.com. So you can roll over there and pick it up. Or the other place that we're, we're just getting started with right now is SoundSnap. So we, we went ahead and jumped on board with Echo Collective Fields. Um, with SoundSnap. So we're still in kind of in the process of getting everything locked down with them and getting everything posted, but it's going to be available over at SoundSnap at some point as well. So right there on. you go. You've got your SoundSnap membership, so you can just jump on there and pull it down. Right on. So in all in all, this day was a uh, 8 out of 10 in stress levels? or Yeah, I think so. Um, I yeah. think so. <laughs> yeah. So like it's, I, I just mean because like even though you did all the prep work that you can, 
you went in there feeling like you had everything under control. There's still going to be so many curveballs thrown at you. You got to be on your toes and be ready for anything kind of thing. Cause there's no way to over prepare for these kind of things, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Not even close. You can't, you just can't do it. The other thing I found really is that you do have to be pretty physically fit yes. to handle a gig like this. I personally used to not be very fit at all, especially last year. And then, you know, the birth of a little boy comes around and I ended up dropping 50 pounds of just fat and sedentariness. Um, <laughs> and I've been training for boxing. And so I've been doing a bunch of running and on all of that. And so my personal level of physical fitness really came into play on this shoot because you're literally having to run from here to half a mile over there with gear in your hands over and over and over again to start and stop different recorders because we're not worried about recording the other cars on the track and I don't want my recorders running all day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I can anticipate within about 30 minutes when the track's going to open up and when it's going to close down for our cars. And when it closes down, it closes down for a couple hours. So obviously I need to go to my various plant locations and turn everything off. Yeah. So that was just a lot of just physical movement for me that would have been way more difficult had I attempted this last year and not been in very good shape the way that I am now. Mm -hmm. So that really came into play also. And also why you need lots of water and snacks. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We tore through it and bought more. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, we didn't even talk about the post process, which was longer and more strenuous than everything that came up to this point with this specific record. How do you mean? Well, you know, you, you end up dumping everything into Pro Tools and then you have to go through and catalog it and sort it and name it. And then you have to start solving problems with the recordings. You know, you have to start chopping things out and chopping, you know, speech out. And then you also have to kind of go through and listen to every second. Of, you got to find all that Foley. You got to go searching for it. Yeah. So it's all happy accidents, I guess. Right? Exactly. I mean, and, and, all, and you end up with all these different mic perspectives and all this stuff, and you end up making judgment calls as to what makes the cut and what doesn't. And you end up doing things like with the onboards where you have to find the right mix and, uh, of all the tracks and the right processing and all of that just to kind of get it all even where it's working. Because, you know, the individual mics are just kind of not... They're not there by themselves. You really yeah. do have to mm -hmm. kind of work them to turn them into something. But when you work them, they turn into something really nice. And, and you know, I'm not talking about like doing a bunch of like crazy, you know, mastering and inflating and stuff. I'm just talking about your basic, you know, high passes and, you know, RX passes where you'll go through and like draw out certain, you know, birds chirping. Oh, my God. I drew out <laughs> birds chirping for like a week. <laughs> Though, you know, one other thing that we did on the balcony was there was a, a flagpole right next to the balcony that we saw and literally had to go take that thing and tape it down to within an inch of its life. So was it like a piece of metal pinging against yes. it? Is that, yes. There was a piece okay. of metal going cling, 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 cling. And I knew that that was going to just destroy my whole life and reason for living <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't deal with that right now. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that happened near the end of the day, the insects came up. Oh, so, you know, there were some, there were some things where, I mean, there were just takes where that insects busted. There were takes that airplanes flying overhead busted, uh, you know, and you record all day and you record all these tracks all day and you still end up throwing out just big chunks of it because it's just not making the cut. Mm -hmm. I would say of the actual recordings we made of the cars going by, we threw out at least 40%. Wow just for various things that we weren't going to deal with. And we knew we had other good sounding buys and we were going to be fine. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, the Stephen Schultz, the sound librarian, did an article for Designing Sound a while back. I think it might have been the same month as our episode on vehicle recording about him recording an air show and just throwing out recorders all over the runway, just yeah. hitting record and then having to go back and just listen to eight hours of each recorder and yeah. see what worked and what didn't. And yeah, so the post process is a daunting one, I'm sure. It was heavy. It took both me and Steven weeks just to kind of sort through it all and, you know, cut it up and label it and deal with it and put it together. And when it comes to like releasing it as a sound effects library, it's not even inclusive of doing the rest of the, you know, building the website and building the demo and, you know, doing all the rest of the stuff that you do to like package and market a sound effects library. Mm -hmm. Like the f steps involved in creating it in the front end were just massive. But I'm real happy with it. I mean, I think it turned yeah. out very, very, very nice. And I'm just, it's one of those, it's kind of a niche library that people only get it if they need it. Um, yeah, exactly. But for me, it was also just a great experience to kind of go out and get another rep doing that type of thing and just kind of figure out what kind of problems I'm facing when I, when I go into those situations and deal with them. It was, it was really great fun. And everyone, the whole crew was really great to work with. You know, the drivers and the mechanics and everybody else, they just kind of gave us carte blanche to do what we needed and were really helpful. And, um, and that contributed a lot to the success of everything, I thought. Nice. So there you have it. Thanks to everybody who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to everybody that's been clicking on our affiliate links and clicking on the little PayPal buttons and, and giving us tips that way. That's been really cool, and, and people are awesome for supporting the show that way. Yeah, we really appreciate that. Thanks to everyone who's done it. And if you have a chance and you're uh, feeling charitable, just a couple bucks here or there would really be appreciated. Yep, or click on that Amazon link, click on that B&H link before you buy anything, and it'll help us out. Thanks to Stacy Dupass for letting us bend and twist her voice on our bumpers. You can follow the show at The Tone Benders and go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. Also, check us out at Facebook.com slash ToneBendersPodcast. See you guys next time. See ya. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Tone Benders. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a you can also download and listen to our entire show archive there, and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter, or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonevendorspodcast.com.